0: All right, Justin, A, B, C, D, or E? D. I'm glad you chose Let's D because otherwise me. you were going to choose D. So <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll start this off with probably one of the bigger uh, pop culture news stories at the moment. Uh, I've been watching football for years and, yeah. and I know technically somebody has died on the field playing football. It was like 50 years ago and I feel shitty. I do not remember that guy's name. But watching Monday Night Football and it was one of those games where it's, it's already late in the season, but if you're a fantasy football player, your season either just ended before this week or this was your Super Bowl. And so, like, this is the final game of the week and everybody's eyes are on it. And then you see what happens to DeMar Hamlin. And holy fuck. Like, the first thing I thought of when that happened was years ago, I want to say when he was playing with the Raiders, Carson Palmer was like doing like a roundtable thing with like a Sports Illustrated reporter and a few other quarterbacks. And he talked about with how fast and strong everybody is. It's a matter of time before you see somebody die. And this was, I think six, seven, eight years ago. it was a while ago. and then that happened. And it's one of the craziest things when you're watching something like that and you do start wondering, did I just watch somebody die? Because you don't know and you see the CPR and you see the, the craziness going on. And... That just puts so much shit kind of in perspective. Like being a football fan. Like... I don't want to ever hear anybody ever now. Like a big thing recently is like college football players sitting out of bowl games. Like they played the whole season and they sit out of a bowl game because they're probably going to go in the NFL and they don't want to risk injury, you know, so that like, you know, to maximize their career and all these people love to criticize it because they're like their kids, they're supposed to do this. this, this." I want to hear that shit anymore. I want to hear that shit. Because what, DeMar Hamlin's, what, in his second year in the league? Yeah. And one hit.
1: Four years old.
0: And it looked like a routine play.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't
0: want to hear that shit no more. Anybody yeah. wants to talk about college athletes get a free education and all that, fuck all that. Like, I've never been more happy that they finally did that NLI shit to where college athletes can get paid. Because it just kind of proves that anything can happen, especially in sports, especially in a violent sport. But it you you can you can put that on sports in general. You know, there've, there've been high school basketball players that have had cardiac events. There's any number of things that can happen in sports, especially violent sports. And fuck all that, let them make every goddamn cent they can. Because, I mean, A, for, you know, some of these people, especially if they're in the NFL, that's their livelihood, you know. And if they're in college, it might not be their livelihood, but it might be their means to gain their livelihood. Because, yeah, they might be one of the people that have a scholarship, but they're, you know, they actually don't think they're going to make the NFL, so they're, you know, they are using it for their education, whatever. It's, It's a means to somebody's livelihood in a lot of cases. But as spectators, it's our entertainment. So it just kind of shows that it can fucking happen at any time, any place, no matter how big you are, no matter how professional you are, no matter how trained you are, it can just fucking happen. And if it can happen to an NFL player, which you can arguably say that they are in still better shape than college athletes and still better infinitely even more better shaped than high school athletes because especially in football you're you're more grown at that point that's why they have the age restriction in football it has nothing to do with you know what they think your talent might be or anything like that it's just when you're 18 you are still growing going up against people that are grown and you can see that sometimes you know, you see a college football player in when they're 18 and then you see them when they're 23 and it's different. And it's just, I don't know. It's just one of the craziest fucking things. And then, yeah, I don't know. And then you have just all these fucking people coming out, talking about it and all this other stuff. Like somehow this incident became an anti-vax talking point because people were saying, well, he got his fourth booster shot on the 26th and now he's collapsing on the field. That was all started by a guy on Twitter who just said he was his doctor and said, I gave him the vaccine shot and I'm now working with the hospital to help make sure he stays alive and all this other shit. Which, if you know anything, I know a lot of people were confused by what HIPAA is. But if you ever want a textbook definition of what a HIPAA violation would look like, it would be a doctor saying, yep, I did this medical procedure on this person. Right. Like, that's a HIPAA violation. And it's obvious that the person that was saying that and, you know, starting this whole thing that gave credence to this was just a fake fucking troll person. But then on top of it, it makes it just a little bit more sad because why the fuck is somebody thinking this is the time to do a troll bullshit about something that does not apply whatsoever?
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't, I hadn't heard that part of it. Wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't heard anything about that either. That's... But man, the just the the whole situation, it's just crazy that they marketed that game, the the Buffalo Bills versus the Bengals with all the playoff implications and everything like that. It was marketed as it as the the game that could quite possibly be the game of the season. And the crazy thing is is that we didn't even get through a first quarter of play and Because of what happened to DeMar Hamlin, it is now the biggest game of the season. It's just unfortunate that this is, that, that it's for reasons that nobody saw coming. Now it's just been a conversation point all week. That's all anybody's been talking about is DeMar's condition and everything like that um it's unfortunate that you have anti vaxxers and people kind of trolls trying to create narratives and stuff like that, but honestly, what has surprised me more is just the sort of outpour of like love and concern and th- that people are showing you know more than I thought there would be you know, I really thought that there would be kind of And I'm sure these people are out there, but, but if they are out there, their voice has been very small, I guess it's minimal, but I figured that there would kind of be this side of it, of people that go, well, that's the name of the game, you know, football. This is what they're paid to do. This is what they risk when they go out there and stuff like that. I thought maybe I would hear more of that kind of noise when this happened But I think there was just something about it being on national television and everybody just watching it. And like. I'll probably never forget, as long as I think about football, I'll probably never forget how some of those players looked, how worried they looked like seeing Josh Allen on the sideline and just the 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 look of just utter concern on his face players crying the 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 coach just down on his knees like oh no and and it was crazy because at first you the the person goes down and you think uh-oh you know you you you, you could tell that something was wrong by the way he collapsed and if, but but you know you can't you're not making sense of it at that time and you don't know if it's a head injury, you don't know. It kind of looked like he he went down on his side. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe that was like, did he get knocked out? Like, was he knocked out kind of like he stood up and maybe like it was a delayed reaction or something? You know, I really couldn't tell what happened to him just from the initial tackle. And like you said, it just looked like a routine tackle on T. Higgins. It didn't look like quote-unquote much, but they take that first break. And, you know, it's, it's as usual, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman are on the call. And Joe Buck is like, you know, we're going to step away and take a break. And then we come back from that break and we're still people out there on the field. Then we take another break. Then we come back from that break and we're still out on the field. And you see the ambulance coming and everything like that. And it's like, and they're like, we're taking another break. I swear there were about five or six breaks during this. And after a while, it just, and then Joe Buck says they're administering CPR. And all I could think was, oh my goodness, please don't let this man die on the field. And just the way everybody was looking and the the concern that everybody had, I was just like, no way exactly. Just your exact words. So then I was like, no way that on national television, this man is just going to die right here. Just in the middle of this football game. It was surreal. And I've heard stories about athletes dying, like boxers dying in the ring and different things like that. Um, And different athletes getting, you know, severely injured and then maybe taken to the hospital dying later. I've heard stories like that, but this is the first time I've ever been watching a sport and seen something of this mag- magnitude and that tragic, like it, it, it I I still kind con- I was just shook like like I think that's the best word I can come up with. I was just shaken by it all. It was just a moment of, man, like it went from oh man, this is the game of the season, I can't wait. We were going up against each other in the fantasy football game. It was one. It was you have Josh Allen, I have Joe Burrow. It was like the perfect way to sort of cap off the fantasy season and everything like that. And it was a big game and I was excited. And then it went from that to my goodness, please don't let somebody die just here on the field, you know, and everything like that. But it has been refreshing to hear the conversations about him and the, the outpour of success. I, I um, one story I really like is that he started this this toy drive charity and his goal was to raise like and it, and he started this charity way before he was an NFL player. He started it back when he was a college athlete and it was just designed to, um you know, have this little toy drive and give toys to kids and stuff like that. And the goal, the original goal was for him to raise about twenty five hundred dollars. And I think that he had just had a little over a thousand for that toy drive. Well, people started giving money after this happened to him, unfortunately. And now that his charity is up to like $6 million. It went from like a couple of thousand to like $6 million. And so, you know, like, and that was really cool to see. Like I've seen articles and people like different magazines and stuff, having his picture on the front. And one, magazine called him America's son. And it was like the world praised for a football player who's fallen in tragic accident and stuff like that. And it's really cool to just hear like all of these people sort of talk about him and everything. And I thought that it was great that they didn't resume this game. You know, I thought that was another thing that came out of this that I was, I, I was happy that the coaches and the players And all of them just decided we're not going to come out here and play a game after that happened. And I've seen people have catastrophic injuries and the game continue. You know, they're carried off the field and the game just continue. This one hits close to home because it's pro wrestling. Uh, Owen Hart, um, a wrestler, died in the ring. You know, they were doing a stunt where he was supposed to propel down from a cable. He, the cable snap, he fell into the ring and died, and they continued the show. Like, I've seen other sports and other forms of entertainment not make that same decision and sort of have a show must go on mentality. So, I was also just happy to hear that so many people were like, no, they made the right decision in just not playing the game and just letting these players. Like especially the Buffalo Bills players do what they needed to do to support their the their fallen brother in the fraternity that is the n f l so you know it was nice to see that as well
0: uh to tie that specifically in the player that did die uh was in nineteen seventy one the player was Chuck Hughes,
1: okay, the game resumed see. And in the game and see, like, I, I was just about to ask you that and see the game resumed. And like, it, it's just, I'm glad that we are at least at a place now where for the most part, it's understood why the game was stopped.
0: Well, um, with that, I mean, there's been ahead. conflicting reports because the NFL is saying like, oh, we had no doubt we weren't going to continue that game. But I've heard from other people that they wanted to continue the game. And Mm, like they were trying to get the coaches and players ready to go right after the ambulance had left. And apparently the, the, the teams and the coaching staff and everybody was like, we're not fucking playing. Like we're not like uh, Zach Taylor, the coach of the uh, Bengals Bengals. said he was talking to Sean McDermott, the Sean McDermott. Yeah. The coach of the bills. And he was saying, the only thing Sean McDermott was talking about was he needed to go to the hospital. Like, he needed to go be there at the hospital. He needed to be there with his family. He needed to be there for his player. Nothing about coaching the game. His first thoughts were, I need to fucking not be here. And, you know... And from what I've heard, it was just like the players and everybody was like, we're not fucking playing. And then I think with how overwhelming the sentiment was, I think the NFL just kind of backed off. And I think that that's why they've even changed it to like, we might not even play the game, you know, because you, as much as they they have been the bully about some things, you cannot be the bully at that moment because they've been controversial and all these other things. They've had some stuff, how you get a majority of people to back the fuck away though. Is you have somebody that, you know, still might die. And your biggest concern is, oh, we need to fucking play the game. Like, at that moment.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think a part of that is because I think as just a sports or a football culture, we get so used to seeing people injured. To seeing people kind of carried off. To seeing... Ambulances come and pick players up and things like that. And I think there's just, uh, I think you see that so much that there is a desensitized element to it where you're just seeing all these injuries all the time and players getting picked up and games resuming, people getting hurt and games resuming and everything like that. But it's nice to know that there were some, and that's why I I made sure to specify the coaches and the players because I heard that too, that they were going to get a five-minute warm-up. Then that became, no, we're going to go to the locker room and give them some time to kind of prepare. Then it just became, no, we're not playing the game. It kind of, the way it was reported was in steps. But I imagine whether the NFL was trying to make them play or not, I could just, I could only imagine how chaotic that situation must have been. Cause I mean, this is unprecedented. Like, it's not like there's a script for this, like Joe Buck and Troy Aikman seemed shook by the whole thing, trying to get information and trying to talk to the teams and then talk to the coaches and then trying to get to the, the front office and Roger Goodell and all of this stuff. Meanwhile, there are EMTs and people down here trying to resuscitate this man and all of this kind of stuff. Like I can only imagine how chaotic communication must have been. Hell, I can think of times where at my job something crazy stressful happened and the and the communication from worker to worker to boss to everything Wasn't great, you know, you you try to get information as fast as you can. But even in an office scenario, that doesn't go very smooth. Hell, I remember times working at the movie theater with you, Sterling, where something crazy would happen. And the communication and the flow of communication isn't always smooth in those situations, just with people like that. So I can only imagine how chaotic it must have been. With all these people and all these team members and all of these voices involved that have to convey these messages. I think overall they did a great job, not dehumanizing what was happening, really giving like the the reporters and Joe Buck and everybody, I think did a great job of just trying to respect what was happening, even though they were feeling some kind of way. Uh I, I just think overall. Yeah, maybe some things could have happened faster. Maybe they could have decided not to play faster, et cetera, et cetera. But overall, man, I thought it was handled as graceful as it possibly could have been. And given the situation and everything that was happening, sure, there were some things that could have happened. But honestly, man, I'm not mad at him because, dude, I couldn't imagine being there. And and then you had a mom who was there. His mother was there like watching the game in person. And now all of a sudden, you know, you're talking to your son about g- g- being in this big game and it's Monday night football and everything like that. And now all of a sudden he's on the ground and you're wondering if he's even going to be alive. And and, and, like, and like you said, Sterling, just him being in the hospital, um, they say he's improving, but of course we don't know, you know. Um, He still needs machines and everything to breathe. And I think they said he went from needing 100% oxygen to 50% oxygen. I heard that yesterday, that the goal is to try to get him to breathe on his own. So I don't know where they are in that process. That was just the last update I heard on the NFL network. But man, dude, like that was just Insane. insane. You know, and I think it could have gone a lot worse than it did, you know.
0: Yeah, especially like when when it comes to something like this, I mean, I know we talked about it. Like, like you said that we were in like you and me were in the championship in our fantasy football league and our game, the championship would be decided by this game. And yeah. I know some other people in some other leagues that, like, were kind of complaining about this game not being played and it kind of messing things up fantasy football-wise. Like, I I did not understand that at all. That's why, like, in our league, that's why I conceded that, like, I was losing anyway. It's, you know, it would have taken a miracle for me to win anyway. But, you know, our our, the league, the the app we use for our league, more or less said, Hey, we're finalizing it. But if something changes later, your commissioner can fix it, whatever. And I was just like, no, we're going to fucking call it. Like I, I don't care at this point. Like, you know, I, I personally hope they don't finish this game. Like, yeah, I hope they figure out something like maybe they both just get a tie and they call it a day or whatever. I hope they don't finish this game. Yeah. And you know, but, like, Same. there were people in leagues, like I said, they were mad because they were like, well, that might cost me money. I'm like, dude, fuck, it might cost this man his life. Who gives a fuck?
1: Yeah, like Yeah, somebody's life is on the line, man.
0: You know, it's just, like, it's utterly fucking perplexing to me. And I do think it's funny, yeah, though, it's that, that, like, celebrities have, like, some really rich people have figured out a way to get some loopholes around GoFundMe. Because GoFundMe allows only a maximum of $5,000 donations so some like rich people have figured out a way to get around that. Uh, one specific example is a uh, Chris Jericho um, donated $10,000 because he did one as Chris Jericho and another one as crush Jermico.
1: <laughs> man, he's man. He's great.
0: You know, and you know, Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford and, Like a lot of people have donated, but I just think it's like, it's funny that like, like you said, people are just kind of coming out of the woodworks for what was this like kind of small charity. Uh, I looked it up. He had going into that game. They had about $3,000. Oh, okay. And it now has 6 million. Just from all the donations. Wow. But yeah, it's fucking crazy.
2: I mean, something that yeah. stood out to me with it was just, like, you could see visibly on the faces of the other players, like, how concerned they were. And, like, you could tell, it didn't even look like they cared at all about this game. They were just, like, there, and, like, I don't know, it just it just looked like they were just so devastated and so worried. And that kind of stuck out to me with it because, like, yeah, I mean, that was their teammate. You know what I mean? Like it just, it just stood out to me that they were like, yeah, you could just tell they were like, I don't care about this game right now. I really don't. And I think that says something, you know?
1: Yeah. And you would just wonder because, you know, football has always kind of been a real, like a real, like macho show kind of sport where, you know, and and this is another thing that I appreciated just about this too is that that's sort of how it's always been seen. That's how a lot of players have carried themselves. That's always kind of been that thing about it, is that these are the manliest, these are the biggest, strongest, fastest guys, and these are the manliest of men and everything like that. And I think that there's always sort of been that sort of stigma about it, whether – it's because of the way players carry themselves or it's the way that fans see it or view it or however it's advertised, you know, that's always kind of been like a big thing about it. And, you know, being macho and toxic masculinity and stuff like that, it's not like it's just from the NFL. It's just males, period and everything like that. So I don't want to like just say the NFL is guilty of it or I'm not really implying that, but one thing that I really liked about this is that when some of these coaches were talking about like meetings and conversations um, that they were having with their players, the the Dolphins coach and I forget his name. Um, I should have looked this up because I wanted to talk about Demar Hamlin. Isn't it I something McDonald? I, think Isn't it so. Mike McDonald? I think something so. Mike McDonald, something like that. I'll look it up. While something you're like that. Okay, but he said something. I think that was very strong at a press conference. And he was just talking about, you know, everything with DeMar and just how his reaction to it and everything. And talking to his team, and he said, I really, and at some point he was like, and I'm a bridge in here. This, this wasn't an exact quote, but, he, but but I remember at least exactly what he said in that moment. And he was like, I wanted to ensure to my players that there is no way you should feel about this, like if this affects you and you want to talk about it, if this bothers you and you want to talk about it, I want to give them the space to express how they feel about this and whether or not they want to get back on the field and practice today, play football, etc., cetera, et cetera. I wanted to really, you know, really emphasize that point to them that there's no, Way you should feel about this, your feelings are your feelings, and it's good for you to express them and I thought that that was very powerful because I know that a lot of men a lot of times we are taught to not express our feelings and to not um, reveal those things and we're and and I think that. You know, especially with today's generation, there's a lot of conversations about mental health and talking about how you feel and expressing your feelings and things like that. So I feel like there is an effort by the younger generation to try to kind of chip away at that whole machismo, macho kind of toxic masculinity thing. But it's nice that they are giving players the space and the help to have conversations saying it's okay to have those conversations, having counseling available to some of these players and stuff that they need that. Like it feels like a real effort is being made for players to express their feelings and talk about, and, and, and there's being a point to emphasize that, that they're, that this is about more than just a game. You know, this is a person's life and this is somebody who's a player we know that a lot of you see yourself in this player. You see your, your comrades and teammates in this player. So we want to make sure you're good before we get back to the business of football. You know what I mean? Yeah, those games are still on the schedule, but how are you feeling? How are you doing? And, and I've heard that from just about every team that, that they wanted to give them the opportunity to do that and express themselves that way. And I thought that was real cool, too
2: well yeah i I would just imagine too, like just thinking about you, Justin, and the fact that you are an athlete in a fashion, like not football, but you know, I just feel like that would make any any athlete in their specific field of athleticism just to kind of be taken aback by it and just you know what I mean, so I feel like in the athletic community as a whole, that just kind of shook everybody, you know what I mean,
1: yeah, it's just that. That intrusion of reality, as some people like to say, you know, every now and then you're, you're, you know, you think about entertainment and this, that, and the other. And we think these guys and these players and stuff like that, you know, we look at them in such a high regard and everything like that. And, you know, sometimes we have conversations about these people and we're like, you know, well, if, if, if Dak can stop throwing interceptions or, we a person will not get any fantasy points and call this person useless or whatever the case may be. You know, you you think about all of that stuff, or you know, you or just like you said, me, I'm going out here wrestling and banging and knocking against people and the ground and everything like that. And it it really was just that intrusion of reality that often happens to everybody, where life kind of comes in and says. Nope, I'm here, and this is the real world, and this is what really can happen to you, and this is the real risk you're taking, and yeah, Mm -hmm. it it was shocking, but at the same time, like, this is what can happen to them, and so you got to understand what kind of risk they're really taking for our entertainment, you know what I mean? And yeah, they're getting paid, and this, that, and the other, but the, but, but, but still, man, they're human beings, and I think sometimes, as fans as people, like you're saying, the people upset about their fantasy football game, we have a tendency to dehumanize people and things that entertain us, and this sort of intrusion of reality shows that nah man, you know they're they're human beings too, man, like. There are human beings down there doing all of that.
0: Uh, Real quick, Miami Dolphins head coach is Mike McDaniel. I was okay. a little close. I was McDaniel. a little off, though. Um, But, I mean, I get that because I remember, like, when I was younger, you'd be like, yeah, hurt the guy. Like, you'd want to hurt, like, your team to hurt other players. And then as I started mm-hmm. to get older, because I, I started thinking about it, I'm like, I would never want that to happen to my team. So why would I want it like, you know, but still it's a weird perspective. It's not like from a human perspective, like, Oh, I shouldn't want another human to get hurt, you know, but it'd be like, Oh, I wouldn't want that to my team. So I don't want it for your team. And then recently I've developed, uh, my philosophy when it comes to stuff like that is before this Damar Hamlin thing. And I was already losing pretty badly to you in the championship. I was hoping that Joe Burrow would get like the most mild of ankle sprains. That they would just (laughs) Just take him, him out. They would keep him out just out of an abundance of caution. They'd be like, oh, he's fine. But it's towards the end of the season. We're in the playoffs. We just didn't want to risk it anymore. But he's fine. He'll play next week. But we didn't want to risk it for the rest of this game. That's like, that's the extent I get to now is that it's just the appearance that, man, that was almost an injury. We need to keep this guy out for the rest of the game. That's all I hope now. And I'm, I'm you know, then of course this other stuff happened, but like, I'm glad like a few years ago that that's where my mentality changed to is I wanted yeah abundance of caution injuries. Like, oh man. You almost look like you got hurt. We're not playing you the rest of the game. Because we just don't want to risk you getting hurt. You'll play next week. Not this week. You know, that's what I, like, that's all I ever want in anything like that is just that. Just a man. If you took 27 more of those hits, you might sprain an ankle. So we're not even going to risk one more. (laughs) Because in all honesty, that's probably the only shot I had of beating you at that point. Is that I get that. I was, It's either that or that Joe Mixon went off for like 27 touchdowns. And so they were just like, you know what, Joe, you're going to sit. And then that allowed Josh Allen to just air the ball out in a losing effort and score like six garbage time touchdowns. that wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> that was my other thing. Is that the Bingles that was my other thought is that the Bengals were gonna start beating the Bills so badly with without it being Joe Burrow that Josh Allen would have to have a miracle to still lose. But yeah, I just I, like at a certain point, like as soon as that happened too, I just did not care. Like Yeah. When they were like, oh, well, they might play the game Wednesday. I'm like, let's just not play it. Let's just call it a day. Yeah. I want to give you guys one little slightly happier yet odd bit of news, and then we'll get into the, the episode. Um, I don't know. I found out this week that Matthew Lawrence of the, the famous Lawrence brothers and from Boy Meets World fame is dating Chili from TLC.
2: I heard that too. Oh, okay. What and is the age difference there?
0: Nine wondering? years.
2: Nine years. And it's Chile. older, right? Chile is nine yeah.
0: years older than him.
2: You know what? Do your thing, man. You know?
0: Yeah, we won't get into he maybe cheated on his wife with her and all this other stuff. But, oh,
2: but they're divorced. Did not know that.
0: They're divorced now. It is what it is. I'm not going to hate on anybody for those situations. I'm the product of an affair. So I get it. Affairs happen. I wouldn't exist without one. So I always have, I always look at affairs with a grain of salt. Like I wish they didn't happen, but at the same time, I'm kind of glad they do happen because I'm alive.
1: Oh, so I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Let me, let me throw up my family drama there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, it's what, 37 years ago. So it's fine. Like (laughs) I'm not really, you know, everybody that was involved has been married and divorced since then. So, you know, it's not like I'm going to break up a marriage from it. (laughs) So, yeah. But yeah. So, You know, affairs happen. That's all I'm saying. Like I said, I'm kind of glad they do. Because otherwise, you you might not be hearing this podcast right now. If people didn't cheat on people, you might not have the Cinema Slayers podcast.
2: (laughs) That's deep. That is deeper than I expected.
0: I almost want to add that. We're pro-Sydney, pro-slut, and (laughs) pro-affair.
2: No.
1: (laughs) Does that cross the line?
2: Maybe, maybe a little bit, but respect. Respect.
1: Do we have a line at this point?
0: (laughs) Not really. (laughs) I have said some terrible fucking shit on this podcast. (laughs) I have said some terrible shit. I have said things that no human should ever say. (laughs) Wasn't there one podcast (laughs) where we were talking about a movie and I said, I'd rather talk about what me being molested as a child than that movie.
2: Yeah, I believe I that was a situation that. that happened. Yes, yeah. I believe that.
0: What movie? Oh, that was Resident Evil from 2021. <laughs> That's what that movie wow. was. I remember because I went and saw that movie and then just never talked about it with anyone until we did that episode that I ended up bringing it up in. I just never even acknowledged to any other human being that I saw that movie. until so we did that, whatever, <laughs> I think it was the year end podcast or whatever. And we were just talking about shit from that year. And I was like, oh yeah, I saw that movie. Uh, see, that's why there's really, I guess, no line. But I, speaking of the pro Sydney though, after the episode, this is a teaser for the outro of this episode. I want to bring up something that very much ties into the pro Sydney stance of this podcast.
2: I'm ready. Okay.
0: But before that, here is the actual episode. Slayers Slayers. Hey Cinefans and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast I'm Sterling and as always I'm joined by Heather and Justin And tonight we are going to talk about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between With the Netflix movie Glass Onion A Knives Out Mystery Knives Out Mystery God that's a terrible name and at least director Ryan Johnson hates that too. He hates that they said, they said it was a, a knives out mystery. He hates that tag. Cause he's like, these movies I are it. standalone stories. We don't, we don't need that. I get it. It's like calling anything else. It's like Sherlock Holmes, a, a hounds of Baskerville mystery. Like, yeah. Why? But we will go spoiler-free recommendations and scores, and then into a more spoiler-centric section with time codes in the description to allow you to jump around if you so require. And with all that... uh, We're going to go with Heather because in my Skype, she's the one on the top. Heather, what are your spoiler-free thoughts about Glass Onion?
2: (laughs) The funny thing is you mentioned that name. Like, I feel like that's probably my biggest problem with this movie is the name of it because <laughs> I really like that was my issue too I was like why do they need to call it that like I'm sure it was more for the you know people if they know it's somewhat associated with Knives Out people will watch it I'm sure but I just feel like that was a very unnecessary title and didn't make sense because it honestly has nothing to do with Knives Out other than just the same detective being related with it so yeah I, I thought it was a very weird name
0: and there's a quick fix it's glass onion a benoit blanc mystery
2: yeah that would have actually been totally mm-hmm. fine i would have no problem with that so yeah it, it was just a very weird choice and i'm also surprised they can't just change that like i feel like they've changed like the they've changed like that birds of prey movie name a million times like i feel like they have a way to change it but I, it was just an odd choice to me that they would do that.
0: But Another movie they've done that with is the movie Edge of Tomorrow. The Emily Blunt, Tom Cruise That's movie. That's right. Because in theaters, it was Edge of Tomorrow. And then when it came out on DVD, it was Live, Die, Repeat.
2: That's right. That is true. Yeah.
0: And then I Which think they changed it after that to Edge of Tomorrow, Live, Die, Repeat.
2: Which I actually feel like that title makes more sense for that movie.
0: Live, Die, Repeat would have <laughs> been a better name.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like, I get it. But you also wonder why your movie didn't do that well. Because it's a great movie. Don't get me wrong. But you wonder Mm -hmm. why that movie didn't do that well. Because you renamed it 27 times.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I I saw that recently, like, for whatever reason, that, that 13 going on 30 movie. I don't know if you guys remember that movie. But they on Netflix or some other streaming site, something... They renamed it Suddenly 30, which was just weird to me because, like, why this much later would you rename that? And also, it's not as good of a name. (laughs) Like, it's just very weird.
0: I wonder if that's actually not here, though. It
2: could be that in
0: another country, it was named uh, Suddenly 30. Hmm. (laughs) Because that is something that sometimes happens is that, you know, like, movies have different names in other countries. And there is a chance that like, maybe that was like Canadian Netflix or like UK Netflix and somebody in America just saw it and they were like, Oh, they changed their name. like, it could blow up. That is something that is what I would think would be the most likely thing is that in another country, it was just named suddenly 30.
2: Maybe you're right. And you know what, if that's the case that, yeah, that's not as, that's not nearly as bad. I just like, yeah, I saw like a brief thing where someone was like, I was looking through Netflix and I saw the movie and this is what it was called when I looked it up. And I was like, that's super weird to me. But yeah, you could be right. And if that's the case, definitely that's a more reasonable like explanation for it. But it just, yeah, again, in either case, like, yeah, just... They, there's people that have changed movie titles before, and I hope that down the line they decide to rename this a little bit like, yeah, just a Benoit Bonk mystery or something, or just Glass Onion. Like, that's fine too. Um,
0: oh, just so I, I looked it up, it's in Australia.
2: Oh, in Australia, okay.
0: the, the movie's called Suddenly 30. It's because they're 13 going on 30 would mean something different, like the, the expression. Hmm you know like you know like oh there's you know there's six going on 18 you know like that type that that phrase doesn't translate well over there so there yeah. it's called suddenly 30 that's probably it what it was sense. is it was like an american moved to australia was looking through shit and they saw it suddenly 30 and they're like
2: oh what the fuck is this
0: no that's what it was it's australia
2: okay yeah all right well then that's more passable but in either case i'm just saying changing names of movies is not unheard of. <laughs> like, I feel like I hope down the line, they're able to change this because I, I'm just not a huge fan of that title. But um, like I said, that's honestly my biggest problem with this movie. I really liked this movie. I thought it was really fun. I think, um, and I, there's going to be some comparisons with Knives Out just because, you know, it's, I think that's kind of inevi- inevitable in some ways, but it's sillier um than the night than the knives out movie was you know it's a more I feel like goofy vibe to it a more um maybe I don't know if I'd say lighthearted. maybe I, mean, I guess it is more lighthearted in a way the the vibe of the movie is very different in the, than the first one is but that's not a bad thing I think it's good because it makes it its own movie it's its own thing it's a completely different mystery a completely different group of people and it works, especially for the specific story they're telling. I think that the, the energy they bring, the, the funny, the humor, it works. And it works well with what they're trying to tell with the story. I think, as expected, the casting choices were were superb. Everybody brought it. Everybody was really well casted. Did an excellent job. I honestly can't think of anybody in this movie that didn't just bring it and really just did justice to the character they were supposed to play no matter how small or large the character might have been they really just brought it I think um yeah I think it I won't say I mean for me Knives Out is it holds a very special place to me because I actually think that Knives Out is a nearly perfect film in my opinion I loved Knives Out it's such a rewatchable film. Such a really well-told story, excellent characters and acting. It's a nearly perfect film for me, so I think it was going to be hard for it to beat *Knives Out*, but it's really close. It's really up there, and it's a really great follow-up to the first um, set of movies in the Benoit Blanc stories. Um, I think it it does it does a lot. It's one of those movies that I feel is almost the exception to the rule because. It does a lot, but it actually pulls off everything it's trying to do. You find a lot of movies where they're like, I want to do this thing and I want to add extra twists. And then I want to make this an interesting thing. And it falls flat because they try to do too much. But the way the story is told and the way they do it, everything they try to do really pans out and works well. I don't think there's really a part of the story they tell that falls flat in any sort of way. It kept me invested the whole time, interested the whole time. Um, I wasn't, there was no way I was really going to guess what actually was going on with some of the stuff. And yeah, I I just think that the way it unfolds, the way they tell it is really well done. And I'm really mostly just so glad that the, (laughs) this set of movies and this detective stories from Benoit Blanc It wasn't just a one-off, like, Knives Out was the only good thing, you know, about, you know, the Benoit Blanc character. Like, it feels like if they keep up this momentum, they're going to be able to make a really great set of movies that are all very different from each other, but equally just as well done. So, this was a great follow-up. I honestly think it was just so much fun. It was just a really fun watch.
0: Justin, what about you?
1: All right. So, um, yeah, this was, this was a lot of fun and, um, I I really had a a good time with this film. I thought that it it was excellent. And just like, I mean, I'm not going to say probably a lot different from what Heather said as far as my opinion on it, but just to, uh, but, but I can definitely hark some of the sentiments she said, like, the the cast in this is great. And it's true. Everybody shows up in this movie. And some of these actors are ones that I'm a that I'm a big fan of. Like Edward Norton has always kind of been a guy who I've been a big fan of. So it was very cool to see him in this. And I hadn't seen him in a while. I think I haven't seen an Edward Norton movie since Motherless Brooklyn. Um which ironically was a mystery <laughs> Who done it movie uh so it's so it's funny that, that I think that was the last time a movie I've watched with him in it. So it was nice to see Edward Norton again. I don't know. he's probably had some other movies in between, but this is the that was the last one I saw. so I, it was cool to see him. um man, everybody just kills it. I mean, Daniel Craig comes back as Blanc and he's great um he was just as good as he was in the first film i mean he's great he's great with this cast but there were definitely some surprises here too batista killing it again killing it again man and i remember us having a conversation about how we in black adam how we thought that how we felt that the rock out of the actors turned wrestlers turned superheroes. We were saying that now the rock is third on that list because he's got to be behind Batista who plays drags and he's got to be behind Cena who played the peacemaker and all of that kind of stuff. Um, In an interview, um, the director of this Ryan Johnson said that he believed that Batista is the best Wrestler turned actor. And at first, like when I first read that, it was like I darted back a little bit. Like like I wanted to be defensive. And then I and go, wait, wait, wait. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what, Mr. Johnson? Maybe you're right. Like, maybe you were right. As pure, when you look at just pure acting skill and the different range of roles that he's played yeah. up to this point, and the different people he's been on the screen with, the different yeah. people he's shared the stage with, I don't think you can deny him. Yeah, acting his range, especially. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I know that that we may not be the biggest fans of M Night Shyamalan, but man, I've seen this preview for this movie coming out, and I want to see this movie Justin, because of Batista. Justin, you've struck a, a chord
0: with me. You brought up my <laughs> personal nemesis. Yeah, I say that. That's probably actually Ari Aster, but it it might be M Night Shyamalan though. But I'm not going to lie. They're both tied. Every time I see a trailer for this knock at the cabin.
1: Knock at the cabin.
0: I want to say, fuck you movie. Because fuck M. Night alone. <laughs> but.
1: Mm-hmm. Tell
2: That's him. all Talk you have about to say, Dave <laughs> Yeah. 100%.
0: I am so angry. That I want to see that movie. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. The I only person who can it. do
2: that for you is Dave Batista. And I'm not
0: going to lie. I, about a week ago, I could still write that movie off. And then I saw Glass Onion. And I saw Dave Batista. And I just remember thinking... I'm going to fucking see Knock at the Cabin or or Knock at whatever the fuck it is. I'm going to end up seeing it, aren't I? I'm going to. (laughs) I'm not going to have a choice. Because as much as I hate M. Night, do I want to deny myself what is probably an amazing Dave Bautista performance? Right. No. I can't do that to myself. I might hate M. Night Shyamalan, but I kind of like Dave Bautista more than I hate M.
2: Night. That's a lot. (laughs) That is a lot. Yeah.
1: Well, that's saying a lot. But yeah, man, like I want to see that movie too because of him, his performance, what he was doing just in those few seconds of clips that I saw. I was like, my goodness, Bautista. And... It's crazy because I remember a few years ago, he did an interview and somebody was talking to him and they were comparing him to The Rock and stuff like that. And I remember thinking, oh, the arrogance of this man, Batista, but he was like, don't compare me to The Rock. I'm not trying to do what The Rock does. What I'm trying to do is some like, and basically in so many words, he said, what I'm trying to do is do some real dramatic acting. I'm not trying to do the same type of thing that The Rock does. I don't just want to be looked at as a guy who does action movies and stuff like that. What I'm trying to do is different. I'm really trying to perform the art of acting. In so many words, that's what he said. And Batista, I got to hand it to you, dog. You're performing the art, brother. (laughs) Brother, you are performing. The art of acting, man. Like, I I think as a pure actor, yes, he is the best wrestler turned actor. Nobody has done such a wide range of roles. So, yeah. Rock, you can have the title of the most successful one, but I'm sorry, but Batista has got you on pure acting mm-hmm. skill. I don't think The Rock could have done this. Well, like, like, I look at the roles The Rock has done. One more thing, Sterling. And I'll let you go. I look at the roles The Rock has done. And if I were to say to myself, could Batista do that? The answer most likely for most of The Rock's roles would probably be, yeah, he could do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, he's big enough and he has a, a good charisma and he can do, you know, most of the roles I could say that. But when I look at Batista's roles and I ask myself, can The Rock do this? Yeah. Like, could The rocket have been Duke in this film? No. I don't think he could do this. I, I, I don't think he could have done this, man. So, and Cena's coming. Be, be on the lookout for John. Be on the lookout for yeah. You can't that, see me because- That's <laughs> what you, I was going to say. Be on the lookout. Is, okay.
0: And we talked about it in the Peacemaker episode. Cena's coming. Yeah. yeah. Like he, yeah. he wasn't he's, he wasn't necessarily coming in fast nine. No one was. But <laughs> but Cena's showing it. Like he's he's it he looks like he's on that Batista trajectory and not yeah. the rock trajectory. That's a very hard word yeah. for me to say. Um but no, you're absolutely right. The only handful of roles that the rocks done that Batista couldn't are the ones that are pure charisma. You yeah. know, like the Jumanji movies. Okay. Those yeah. ooze just pure charisma.
2: And see, the funny yeah. thing is I was thinking about this because that's my favorite rock performance. I actually think Batista could do that. I think he could do that role. I,
0: well, he, he could. I don't think it would be the same, though.
2: Because yeah, well he right, does have probably. charisma,
0: I'm not saying he doesn't, he doesn't have pure charisma where the rock does like, you know what I mean? Like Dave Bredista might be able to hit like an 80, 90% charisma. Can he hit 172% charisma like the rock can? <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's fair. To <laughs> you know say. what I mean. He, he wouldn't that's do it as well, point. but he could at least do it. He could
0: have done it. That, that's yeah. the thing. He could have done it and the movie maybe have been like five, ten percent worse than what it was. It wouldn't have been a drastic change.
1: Yeah. And I think the one advantage the Rock has in that is that him and Kevin Hart are like such good yeah. friends and stuff like chemistry. that. Like that that's a real genuine just friendship and they are so genuinely funny together. So to stick Batista in there, it wouldn't have the same effect because he doesn't have the same kind of friendship with Kevin Hart. Yeah. But I don't know if, if you get one of Batista's friends and, and put him in the role, m- m- maybe we could talk about that, but I get what you're saying with the rock and everything. Yeah. The, the, there are just some things in that. There are some things in that where it's like, okay, I don't know if Batista can reach that, but he sure would get close. I think he would get close. I don't know if The Rock would get anywhere near this Duke guy, Dude, or or some of these characters Batista has played.
0: I'm not gonna lie. You know what movie I kind of want to see? Black Adam, starring Dave Batista. Yeah, man, like that. I don't it know. It been feels- wrote a lot differently. It would, I think would have been more compelling.
1: Yeah, because he would have read the script Might and been, been. like, uh, can we add some layers to this character? <laughs> he That's would have true. never walked yeah. out there. He would have been questioning. I feel like now he's one of those actors. Like, he it's would like, have been questioning the role. Yeah. <laughs> like, he wouldn't have even taken that role. You know what? I, I think I can say that about Batista now. Now that I understand what his mindset is and seeing his ability in these roles he would have he wouldn't have even take he wouldn't have taken that role not he, with that script and it's it's very obvious now the only reason
0: why he's Drax and was in like the Guardians holiday special cuz he said he's pretty much done like once Guardians 3's like done and gone he's like I'm never going to be Drax again hmm. but the reason why he went ahead and did the Christmas you know the holiday special was cuz it was for James Gunn he's friends with James Gunn yeah like when James Gunn yeah. goes like, hey, I kind of wrote this holiday special and it's really kind of based around Drax and Mantis. He was like, yeah, I'll do it for you.
2: Yeah. Honestly, he could have done a good Peacemaker too, I think. He could have. It's just,
0: I'm not, I just, I really enjoyed seeing Cena do that.
2: He was great. You know? He He and, is that role, yeah. but yes.
0: And that's the thing is The Rock couldn't have done that. The Rock couldn't have been Peacemaker. Mm. No, like, he's too vulnerable at times. But Dave Bautista, it's it's layers. It's just layers on layers on. Layers. And he's been doing that part of acting so much longer than Cena has. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, that's why I said that. Like, what I was gonna say, Justin, you brought up is like give Cena a chance, though. If Cena starts picking some more of these roles, or even just Peacemaker season two, you know, like yeah. he might be bringing it. You know, he's come up in
2: and- It's just,
0: like, give him a little bit more time, and I've got no doubt he'll be there, too. Like, I mean, at this point in their careers, I'm not going to lie, if you were to say that there's a chance that Dave Bautista or John Cena maybe at some point might win an Academy Award for acting, I'm not going to call bullshit on it. There's a chance.
1: Dwayne yeah, the if Rock t- Jones. Somebody told me that, I wouldn't even laugh. Yeah. Like, right? That wouldn't even get a I would think about it and go, probably so. <laughs> like they got. Well, honestly,
2: like I Rock think about fan. it too. And like, I know none of us were super high on that Army of the Dead movie. I think I liked it maybe more than you guys. I don't remember, but I I didn't I kind of enjoyed that movie, the Army of the Dead movie. And that's kind of for me where I was like, Bautista's good. Like, he was definitely not the worst thing about that movie. He was probably the best thing about that movie. Like, how he did his performance. I was like, okay, yeah, I see you, you know?
0: Oh, yeah, 100% of the problems of that movie is Zack Snyder. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Dave Batista, no.
2: He was so good in that. Like, I really enjoyed his performance in that movie.
0: Yeah, I mean... Anyway, you, you you finish your thoughts, Jackson. Yeah, I, I need just, to finish.
1: Let me finish yes. it. <laughs> yeah, let me. <laughs> this went a while. But but still, though, he was such a big surprise to me for all the reasons mentioned. And so I was just like, man, dude, Batista is really killing it on screen with some of what are top level actors in Hollywood. And he's right here with them, man, just Acting his tail off. So, yeah, Batista, chef's kiss, man. Bravo, man. And uh, one last person I'll mention and then I'll let you go. And then we'll, in spoilers, I'll mention more people. But uh, Janelle Monet. Yo, (laughs) yo. Like, I knew she was good, but damn, bro, she's hella good, dude. Like, she stole the show. Yeah. She stole the show. Like, this was. The, the, I thought that this was the Daniel Craig show. I thought that it was going to be the, the Edward Norton show. And then the, then glass onion was like, nah, man, those are just the layers, but you peel it back. And the person in the center is Janelle Monet. And that's real talk, man. She killed it, man. She absolutely killed it. I loved her in this. I can't wait to talk about more of her performance in The Spoilers but man man was she great I can't get into too many details cuz there would be there would have to be spoilers for it but man she was great in this just excellent a pleasant surprise I've seen her in some stuff but but damn man she's as good of a singer as she as as an actor as she is a singer I mean she's a good singer but man dude like she she absolutely killed it in this. So, yeah, I'll just leave it at that, man. The acting was great. It's a very good story. Uh, the last thought I'll, I'll say is that I don't think it's as good as the first Knives Out. And, and it might be minor. It might be nitpicky. But by the time this was over and by the time it got to its, its resolution, as satisfied as I was It didn't give me the same feelings as Knives Out. It didn't give me that, oh, aha, kind of, oh, man, look how this whole thing came together type of feelings like Knives Out did. This was, and, and some of that is by design. This was trying to do something different. But, and though I respect the difference, I don't believe it hit me as hard as that movie did. So for that, I would say it is inferior. I think that this one was probably a little more on the predictable side as far as how it was going, as far as what was happening and what we were trying to figure out. But it was executed so well that even still, I very much appreciate it. It's not a critique. I'm just kind of saying in comparison to the first movie, that's sort of just what it is. And a lot of that is by design. So I think by its design, that's why I didn't have the feelings in the end that I did when I watched the first Knives Out. But like you said, Heather, this is damn close. This is about as close as you could be. It's an excellent sequel. If you even want to call it that, I mean, I guess it's a kind of a sequel. They put the knives out in the title, as you two mentioned, and everything. So you know what? As if it can get that close to Knives Out, I'm gonna be satisfied. Like I thought that Knives Out is just excellent. Like you said, damn, they're perfect, and this is like great. I mean, this was a great movie, damn near excellent. So I mean, I can't. I mean. I'm not going to complain about almost excellent. So, I mean, there you go. There you go.
0: (laughs) Where I look at it with these two movies is if you're going to give them grades, like just letter grades, like it's a school assignment. One's kind of an A plus. The other one's kind of an A minus. Are you really going to be that disappointed with either one? You know what I mean? Like. And like you said, Justin, one's damn near perfect. The other one's great. You know, it's just, it's slightly less. I mean, it's that's Coca-Cola it. and Coca-Cola zero sugar. You know, yeah. like that's, the, that's the kind of the difference. It's, you know, like one of my favorite candies. I love me a Reese's butter cup. But there's something about the limited release ones like the, the Easter or the Halloween or the Christmas or the football ones where they do the different shapes. They taste just a little better. And I think it's because due to the different shapes, the chocolate to peanut butter ratio is slightly different. And it tastes just a little bit better. But don't get me wrong. If you hand me like, you know, Reese's peanut butter cup, I'm not going to go, oh, this garbage. I need an Easter one. No, I'm going to fucking eat it because it's still delicious. <laughs> you know, it's, and like you said, it, the good thing about this movie though, is that it, like you said, Justin, it's partially by design. Yeah. So you don't feel as much as it's, you don't feel like it's a step down or a misstep. You just feel like it's a different
1: direction, you know? Yeah. It's not a cheapened feeling that you feel or anything, yeah, and if it if it wasn't intentional, I would feel
0: cheapened. It would feel cheapened, I should say, but since it's intentional, it gets more of a benefit of a doubt with it. you know there's a character in this movie, and i'll I'll go more specifically in spoilers that I think a lesser murder mystery movie would have had this random character. Be the culprit. Because they'd be like, oh, we showed you this character. You should have known that this character you saw for 30 seconds is actually the ultimate mastermind of it all. And that's the first thought that happened when I saw that character. I was like, oh, no, they're going to be the person. But then I remembered this this was Ryan Johnson. And he did so well with Knives Out. I was like, okay, Sterling, give him the benefit of the doubt he earned the benefit of the doubt with the first one that he knows what he's doing. So he won't do that. And then he didn't do that. And I was like, oh, thank God. My trust was placed well in this guy because he didn't do that. And I was like, thank you. So I, I you know, I give it that. And, and, and it's so rare that somebody has done two movies with gigantic ensemble casts And hasn't had a single miscasting yet in those two movies. And I mean, and he's playing the odds game because he's only had one guy repeat in two movies. And it's just gigantic casts. And he's nailed it both times. There is not a weak link in this movie as far as acting goes. And that's saying a lot. Because Kate Hudson is in this movie and I hate Kate Hudson. I hate her so much. And I still can't say she's the weak link acting wise in this movie. She's not. It just works so fucking well. You know, if you were to just talk to somebody like mention this cast, like Dave Batista might be considered the weakest actor. Nope. Holds his own in every scene. Like there's just nobody weak. It just goes. I mean, it even has one of the strongest cameo games out there.
2: Even whiskey was great to be honest.
0: Very small character, but very effective in the part she was in. But even the cameos were fucking like great cameos. It's just something about this movie. It just, it really works. But well, you guys want to go to recommendations and scores?
1: Yep. Yep. Recommendations and score. Uh, Jastin, go. All right. I spoke a lot a moment ago, so I'll just make this quick. Hell yeah, I recommend it. It's good. I mean, if you liked the the first Knives Out, I really don't see how you wouldn't like this one. It's a fresh story. It doesn't repeat anything or do something that that's uninteresting from the first one. You don't feel like it's a rehash or just a, a cash grab in any way. It's fun. It's fresh. Cause you've got a completely new cast to work with. Like it's, it, it's a very great, just entertaining movie it's well acted it's it's superbly like, like the pacing is just so superbly done like the the it transitions well in all the scenes i mean there's just really nothing bad that i can say about this so yeah it, it's probably one of the best movies i saw for 2022 i think that's fair to say it's 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 on the list man i think it it's going to make the list um i think i gave The first Knives Out, a 95, I I think. I think I gave it about a 95 or a 96. So we'll just go slightly lower, like I said. So that puts it at, we'll go 94. Uh, We'll go 94. should have thought about this. Man, I'm just going to give Batista some more love. We'll go 94, Batista, man. You you the man, bro. You absolutely killed it. And right now, you, you got the title, man. You got the title for best wrestler actor right now. Pure as far as pure talent goes, out of a hundred.
0: I thought you were gonna say what what'd you give it? A
1: ninety four? Yeah, ninety four.
0: I thought you were gonna say like ninety four Dave motherfucking Batistas.
1: <laughs> I should have, or ninety four Batista bombs or something like that. I don't know. Uh Heather, what about you?
2: Yeah, definitely recommend it. You, I mean, you don't have to see Knives Out to see this one and enjoy it at all. Um, You should see Knives Out if you haven't, but yeah, no, it's, it's its own thing. It is fun and it's fresh. And I definitely think you guys are right as far as like the casting, because I haven't actually seen somebody who was so good at casting huge, like A-list cast of people so well because that's usually like a huge complaint I have is like, Oh, I want to see this movie. Look at all these amazing actors that are going to be in it. And then it turns out to be a terrible movie. (laughs) And this is just not that at all. Like this is how you utilize an all-star cast to the best of your ability. Um, You know, and I just, yeah, it's a, it's a different story. It is. It's very well-written. It's a smart story. It's um, it's, It's got really fun twists and turns that it it might be a little bit more kind of like what you said, Jason, about like slightly predictable. Not necessarily for me that I knew what was going to happen, but you, the beats felt a little bit more like, okay, yep, makes sense that we would go there with it, you know, a little bit more than the first, the the Knives Out movie did. But um, I, I think it was such a fun ride and the payoffs of this movie were so great as well. Um, you know, just some one liners they use that they bring back and utilize in a great way. Uh, things like that. They're just, it, everything is very well-written and so clever. And the types of characters that these people are playing are just perfectly performed from every angle. So, yeah, I mean, you, you really, there, there was no weak performance as Sterling said, there was no weak performance at all. Um. You know, visually, it was really fun, too. I mean, it just it's a very different vibe and feel. And that's why I like that they did it so differently than Knives Out because it's a different story. It's a different case. It's a different set of people. Everything about it feels different in that way. But you still get that smart writing and that smart mystery thriller that engages you the entire time. So, yeah, I definitely recommend it. It's a very fun watch. Very clever. Very fun. Um, I'm gonna give it I'm gonna go ninety two um Jared Leto kombuchas out of a hundred.
0: You said ninety two, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I recommend it. That was pretty fun. That was really great thought it had a decent amount of surprises. I think it's funny. I was slightly surprised more by the cast than I was the story, but you know, like, like we said, part of that's by design. So I, I at least appreciate what it did. And you know, it's kind of funny, like a weaker version of a, a Ryan Johnson mystery, thriller, murder, mystery, who done it movie shit still better than 95% of everybody else fucking doing one you know it because he when he does it at least he does it with with such flair especially from the characters like the characters have a flair to them a je ne sais quoi if you will there's still just something about it that is magnetic and charismatic and just engrossing That even when the mystery itself is a little weaker, the movie's still strong. Because, like I said, it's just a little weaker. And I know there have been some big time people, not necessarily in the movie world, but in the they talk for a living world that wanted to shit on this movie, said, you know, going as far as saying it lies to the audience, it doesn't. At no point does this movie actually lie to you. Does it leave some stuff out at parts? Yeah. Does it actually give you that information later? Yeah, it does. But lying is when the characters act a specific way just for the benefit of the audience. And not necessarily the characters themselves or the story themselves. I know we've brought it up before, but Perfect Holiday is one of those movies. Perfect getaway, whatever the fuck that movie's called, whatever it is. More recently, Last Night in Soho. Where it just straight up lies to you. It tells you that this is one thing. And then you find out at the end of the movie, when the twist happens, that it wasn't that thing at all. This movie (laughs) doesn't do that. Does it misdirect you? Yes, it does. But it never lies to you. Because... When they actually do the twist and they do some of the reveals and they show you some of the scenes and some of the information you didn't have at the beginning, you still see where it lines up with the story they were telling at the beginning. You still see where it falls into place. That's like saying M. Night Shyamalan lied to you in the sixth sense with Bruce Willis being dead. No, it just didn't tell you that. Like that's the, he just didn't tell you that's what it was. And then when it does the whole, oh, look at this, it, we told you this the whole movie and you see it and you go, oh, okay. Because it still lines up. That's, that's, that's the difference between being misdirected and lied to. You still had clues there. You still could have solved some shit. You still could have figured it out. It still could have made sense. Or did they just lie to you and give you no fucking shot in hell and figuring out the ending because they literally told you that the ending they give you is impossible earlier in the movie? This movie, Mr. X, which is also how sometimes a good murder mystery, a good thriller, a good whodunit movie works. You know, it wouldn't work if they went... This person did it at the beginning. Now find out how. But still remember, you gotta guess who did it. That'd be fucking dumb. Because any murder mystery wouldn't fucking give you a, like, wouldn't give you the murder, like, the 20 minutes into
2: the movie. Fuck. That movie would suck. Well, technically, didn't Knives Out do that, but in a very interesting way to where you're still questioning is this really what happened
0: <laughs> you know we'll see that's the thing is it misdirects you a good yes. one can tell you who the fucking murderer was at the beginning of the movie make you go oh it it's not that and then go no no it was that we told you that yeah but we misdirected yeah. you because they're good
2: Yeah, and I guess, never mind, technically, based on the entire movie, they, yeah, they don't necessarily tell everything up front. Yeah, Yeah. you're right. But
0: that's what I'm saying is it's not like, you know, 15 minutes into the movie, they pause and then they show a character up on the screen and say, this person is actually the murderer. Remember that later. You know, like... You know that if they did that, and then someone else was the killer, okay, yeah, they lied to you. But just by not telling you everything and not giving you all the information up front, isn't cheating? It's not lying. It's a mystery. That's like that's by definition what they do.
2: Yeah, it's the point. As like a good murder
0: mystery movie, that you as the movie goes, you get more information. You even find out shit. From earlier in the movie with a different context. That's what good ones do. Like Jesus Christ. I don't know what some of these people wanted. But also the person that said all this got roasted. So it's hilarious. But I'll say who it is later. I You know, that's going to start a whole different conversation. I don't want to have. But yeah, this movie is a good Great mystery movie. I still think that Ryan Johnson just, he's like the modern day person of doing this shit. Like, he's like the modern day movie making Agatha Christie with Benoit Blanc. Like, I get it. I love it. And I'm not gonna lie, I, I loved how much more this movie featured Benoit Blanc. You know, Benoit Blanc was a little bit, like, tapered down in Knives Out. I really enjoyed a more in-the-front Benoit Blanc. I really enjoyed Daniel Craig's portrayal of him. And I kind of hope this becomes a thing. I hope we get, like, six, seven, eight Benoit Blanc fucking movies. And I hope by the time we get a third one, Netflix don't cause it and fucking knives out mystery. You know, <laughs> like, and I, like I, I want to see more. I want more Ben Blanc mysteries, you know? And I think there's something about it too. That like, well, we had Anna de Armas in the first one and we've got, uh, what's her name? Um,
1: Janelle Monet.
0: Yeah. In this one, he writes a damn good sidekick character. Fuck. Damn good. Like, because they're they're different. Like a Day Armist's character in the first one is different than this one. Like, and you get like these vastly different performances and unique perspectives on the sidekick character. Oh, I loved it. Um let's see, I'll give it a 90. Yeah, I'll give it a ninety. I'll give it ninety. Uh, fuck it, uh, ninety, Dave, motherfucking Batistas, out of a hundred.
2: Yeah.
0: I was thinking like shit. I I just did the same thing Justin did. I don't know what the fuck I was gonna say, so I'll say what I said. Justin should have said.
2: Um,
0: so that makes this the official uh, Cine score of this movie, a ninety-three. Cool. Which I think potentially makes it our highest rated CineScore.
2: I think you're right. Since we started
0: officially doing CineScores, I think this is our highest one.
2: Yeah, it was this and then I think the menu probably right below it.
0: Yes, and I think the menu was a 90. The menu was a 90 because Justin gave it a 90. You gave it an 89, which I thought was shitty. So I gave it a 91 just to bring it up. (laughs) Yes, so 93. So, yes, this is our highest-rated score out there, official. Uh, spoilers? spoilers? Spoilers. Yep. Spoilers.
3: spoilers. Oops.
0: I really loved that the point of this mystery was that it was so fucking dumb that it fucked with Benoit Blanc. I fucking loved that. The fact that they wrote that in to be the intentional misdirect of this movie, that it's dumb. I fucking loved that.
1: Yeah. The fact that part of it was even though he knew that the that our culprit at the end was one of the suspects it was cool how he sort of talked himself out of it. Like he had the answer, but he sort of talked himself away from it because it couldn't just be that because that would just be dumb. (laughs) And then when it gets back to it, the way they had him react to that, like to reacting to miles and all of that stuff and, I can't believe that this is what it wound up being and everything like that. Like, why was it just so, so simple and how that annoyed him. I thought that was great. That that was one of the things I loved about it too.
0: And with that, I, I loved how they set that up the whole movie, like among us, simple little like murder mystery, fucking video game. And he fucking sucks at it. Like world's greatest detective. And they're like, Benoit Blanc, like we saw you come out of that room, it was obviously you. And he's like, "Is it really that simple and that easy?" And they're like, "Yeah," and they were right, you know. And they're talking about like, you know, when they're talking, she's talking to him about Clue, and she's like, "Oh, I bet you're great at Clue." And he's like, "There are other things to be good at than Clue," like just hinting at the fact that he's like fucking hate that game because, like, yeah, there's no motive in it, like. That's the thing is if you're like an actual detective or anything like that, you're you're so used to reading people and looking for motives. There's none of that in Clue. It's how well do you take notes? That's Clue. There's no skill in it. Like, I mean, there is some skill. Like, I'm notoriously like, little secret if you play Clue against me. I'm notorious for giving people that like, you know how... If you go somewhere and you make a guess and somebody, you know, if you can prove them wrong, you have to get like show them the card. I'm notorious for constantly showing the same card. I'm also notorious for saying cards that I have to trick other people because I keep track of other people's guesses. You know, so like I keep track of other people's guesses and it's fucked me because like if somebody does the same thing I do, I'm like, oh, that must be the weapon. Because they, they've guessed that like five times and nobody's... They have it. You know, like they're doing the same thing I do. But I mark it down on my card. You know? It's because like I try to think I'm like... You know, I try to like overcomplicate this simple game so I could be like a, more or less a great detective in the game of Clue. And it's not. How many times can you fucking go to different rooms is what it is. Like, you know? And Yeah. And I just loved it. I loved it how he got like what was the what was the word he said whenever they got to the island? Like embreviate. Yes, embreviate. He said that word. And I went, is that a fucking word? I don't think that's a word. But nobody said anything. Maybe it's just a word I don't know of. I'm not necessarily the best with words, especially spelling. Terrible at spelling. So I'm like, maybe I just don't know that word. I just, it doesn't feel like a word. And I'm like, oh, well. And then at the end of the movie when he's like, Imbreatheate, he's like, that's not a fucking word. I was like, I knew it wasn't a word. Damn it. I just, I I thought I was wrong the whole movie. But yeah. I was like, oh shit, I knew it wasn't a word too. Um, I really loved that. I loved the chaos of the ending too. Because something I really liked about the Benoit Blanc character in this is his adherence to the system. He's like, look, I have to be a tool of the system or I can't be what I am. And then using that to still get justice though by going, "Hey, here's your drink. Here's this little crystal of hydrogen. Go be you. I'm going to I'm going to leave because my job here is done." I really loved that. And I loved the chaos. (laughs) I just loved her shattering the fuck out of everything. And I knew right then too, when she just started breaking everything, I was like, Oh, she's going to destroy the Mona Lisa. I didn't know how, but I just knew that was going to happen. And I was fucking pumped for it. God, I was so ready for it. I was like, please, I want this to go down. Awesome. And it did (laughs) the way she burns. That Mona Lisa is fucking Fantastic. Loved every second of it. Um, going back to what we were talking about earlier, there's, a, there's this random character that's walking around the island. I think his name is Kevin. I don't remember. I'm going to call him Kevin. He's just I think walking. I it
2: was Darren, but yeah.
0: Kevin, got it. And so Kevin's just walking around the island. And when you first see him and he's like, oh, he's just going through some stuff. And then like you randomly see him popping in and out of scenes. I was like, he's going to end up being like my first thought was he's going to end up being a part of it. It's going to fucking piss me off because so many movies will do that. They're like, you knew the character was here and all this other stuff. But like, I loved how this movie did all this shit and then Kevin had nothing to do with it. And ultimately Kevin was there just so he could be sitting on a bench next to Benoit while they smoke and shit gets blown up.
2: And that's it. Yeah. That was pretty great. (laughs) Yep.
0: Didn't he Didn't he say a line then or something too? Like he said
2: a, disruptors or something. And uh, yeah. then he was, uh, yeah, you, the other guy. Yeah, he said something.
0: Yeah. And it worked. Like I was like, okay, that character's just there to be on the bench with Benoit at the end. Just spectating at the chaos that's ensuing. I'm like, okay, I'm down with that. I now love that character. Because it was just so fun at the end. You know, when they're just sitting here, he's like, oh, man, that's crazy. It's blowing up. And then they're just sitting there smoking, you know, Benoit smoking his pipe or not his pipe, his cigar. The yeah. guy's uh, smoking a joint. I'm like, okay, I actually really dig that. Because like I said, <laughs> a lesser movie would have had him be the mastermind or somehow how fucking tied to it or any of that shit. But like I said, I'm so glad that I I thought to myself and I gave Ryan Johnson, the benefit of the doubt. I was like, he didn't go cheap and knives out. He's not going to go cheap in this. And I felt good that in the end, he rewarded me for that. He went, you were right, Sterling. I am not going to go cheap. I am not going to do the shitty thing all these other people would have done. And I'm going to reward you for that by not doing it. And I went, thank you, Ryan Johnson. Thank you. (laughs) I mean... Just little things. I mean, one of my big problems with it is there was zero reason to have this take place during COVID. I know they might have filmed it during COVID. There was zero reason to have it take place during COVID, though. Just so they can all get inoculated to not worry about COVID. You know what I mean? Like, that made no sense to me. I mean, you get a slight insight into the characters based on how they wear their masks and all that other stuff. I get that but there's also easier ways to do that and better ways to do it. You know. So I didn't necessarily like that choice. It's not the worst choice, but I just didn't just didn't really like ultimately see the need other than to get a weird Josh Hartnett cameo.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> I like that I can say that and just look over just to see Heather's reaction to me saying that. <laughs> They're the same person.
2: Mr. Hawk is in like everything lately though.
0: Yeah. Josh Hartnett. I know he was in Moon Knight. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah.
0: His daughter is in Stranger Things. I know. Maya Hartnett. (laughs) I still just can't believe that Josh Hartnett and Ula Thurman got together. That's all I'm saying. Anyway. um, You know, there's just these little things, but I mean, as the story unfolded, I really liked the metaphor for the glass onion. I liked how Benoit saw it. He's like, you can see into the layers, you can see into it, but you still have to peel it back to get to the core, to really yeah. see what's at the heart of it all. And I loved the way they layered everything with that. I loved the way that the characters were layered with it. I loved how it kind of showed how like people would react in that normal way that like you've got this rich billionaire friend and he's bankrolling your whole fucking life and all this other shit that like most people wouldn't sacrifice their life, like their livelihood to do what's right. You know? And I, I liked the fact that even in the end, it was just as simple as they openly proved him wrong with the whole you know, Hindenburgian aspect of the crystallized hydrogen that everyone was just like, we have to, like, we have to abandon him now because if we still hold on, it's going to be worse, which is kind of the natural human reaction to a lot of those things. Well, let me jump off now because otherwise it's going to be worse and I'm not even going to have a cushion, you know? So I mean there was lots of layers here. And you know what what we were talking about earlier with the lie is the whole fact of Janae uh Janae, right? Janae Monet? It's
1: Janelle Janelle. Janelle, Janelle. Monet.
0: Shit. I got stuck I got stuck in the rhyme scheme of it all. Uh Janelle Monet. Um her character in the movie isn't actually her character in the movie. Like her character in the beginning of the movie isn't actually the character. They did the whole twin thing. That's not the most original thing in the world. I liked how they kind of portrayed the twins drastically different though. One of them was the rich bitch and had this one accent and this different posture. And the other one had to kind of turn into that, you know? And yeah, I like the fact that it wasn't used in the normal way of, Oh, the twin is the secret twin is actually there to, because they're the murderer. I like that it was like actually, you know, the hero, if you will, was the the twin. You know, so that's kind of a different twist to it all, too. I like that Benoit was in on it with her the whole time. I I actually liked the the fake the fake out being shot. You know, I thought, like, with, when that happened, I was like, oh, damn, and then. Then it does the flashback and then you see it's the twin and you see it's the twin. You're like, you're like, Oh fuck. Like the twin got shot, like all this shit. Yeah. And whenever he's sitting there and he's giving that monologue to these people, because it starts it and then it does the flashback because he's angry. He's mad when he's given that. And it's to make you think he's mad that the person just got shot. Especially as the backstory is unfolding and you're like, oh man, he's mad because he said he wouldn't be able to protect her. And then ultimately she died. And I like it because that's a misdirect because he's actually mad because the whole fucking story and mystery is fucking stupid. As it unfolds more like that's why he's mad. So like it's a layer. That's why it's not a lie. He didn't tell you I'm mad somebody shot her and she's dead now. And let me tell you why I'm mad about it. He doesn't say that. He's just acting mad. You infer he's mad that she died. That's why it's not a lie. The movie's not telling you to be like that he's mad for this. You're inferring it.
2: Which is very meta in itself, too, because you think about that line when he's like, you know, that's just what you told us happened. You know what I mean? So it really is kind of like telling on itself in a way. Yeah. And that's why this movie can be a little bit
0: more simplistic and the mystery be a little dumb. But since it's intentional and like you said, they have meta calls to it. It works. You know, and I mean, I really and then when they do the flashbacks and you see those scenes and you get a little bit more context, like I said, they don't lie to you. There's never a scene when, you know, she's standing next to Benoit and she's like, it's nice to meet you, sir, when no one else is around. Like, they don't lie. That's why I'm like, you, you can't say it's cheap and it's fake and all this other stuff. They just leave out sections. But at no point before the reveal, do they have a conversation by themselves where they act like they don't know each other. No, because the movie just intentionally doesn't show you having alone conversations. That's the smart way to do it. Just don't show them talking yeah. at
2: all. hmm I mean, and it's interesting, too, because, like, even in the conversation they do have together, um, like, you're so enthralled in what's happening. And you're just trying to figure out what's going on, at least for me. I missed that he called her Helen instead of Andy. Like that's something that happens. Like we see it happen and he's like, Helen, you know, I completely missed that. He even said Helen because I was so like caught up in what was going on. You know, they don't lie to you. It's just like the way they play it is so well done that like, either you don't catch those things or you, you know what I mean? Like you don't realize that it is, telling you what's happening and you just might not be seeing it, you know?
0: Exactly. And one last thing. And I'll let one of you guys go. I genuinely laughed at that scene and I thought it was such an incredibly smartly written scene and so well done when he ruins the murder mystery party.
2: <laughs> yeah. I was like, Oh no, but it was so funny. Oh, that was, yeah,
0: it was great. Great. A scene. I loved it. Because then, <laughs> you know, and I liked his little reasoning behind it and all this other stuff. But, like, I just loved how he was just like, well, what do we win? It's like an iPad. And he goes, oh, okay. And he's like, I, I don't necessarily need an iPad, but this is what happened. <laughs> I just, I thought that was really great. Like, the way they did it. Like, that was yeah. such a smart way of doing it. And it's a weird way to diffuse tension in the middle of the movie. To then ramp it up with the scenes again right after, to add more tension to the the thriller who done it aspect that was about to happen in the movie. I thought that was just such an incredibly smart and crafty way of doing it, that kind of just shows that, like I said, Ryan Johnson just he gets it. He gets yeah. it. Uh, Heather, what about you?
2: Yeah, no I agree. And like also going into this, I appreciate that when like when I've seen the trailer for this movie and things like that or the preview, I knew what the story was, but I didn't fully know what the story was about. Like it it doesn't tell you everything. So, and that so it does leave that surprise element like when he ruins the game at the beginning. Like you have no idea that's going to happen, you know, but I also thought that Edward Norton's character was the one that was going to be dying. (laughs) I thought they were going to play it as like, Oh yeah, it's his murder mystery thing, but he actually gets killed. Like I thought that's what they were going to do with it, but this just did a step above where they just throw you off with who actually dies, you know, like at least for me, I don't know if anyone else saw it coming, but yeah, I think I don't know. And and I totally agree about Janelle Monae because she was acting just so on par with all these big hitters, all these big, great actors. She was just on the same level with it. And I she was so good at both characters. <laughs> she plays two people essentially. And she was so like, superbly good at doing both of them equally as well. And yeah, I, I just, I really loved her in this movie and just, it was such a smart choice to make her that sidekick character like Anna de Armas was in Knives Out because I mean, she just, she killed it. She was so good in the role. And I also loved how they had just some really random cameos in this film. <laughs> like it was it was funny but it's also like it might be random but you still like really enjoy it you know like um Ethan Hawke being in there for all of like 2 minutes um I Hugh Grant Josh Hartnett yeah Josh Hartnett being there yeah um and then like Hugh Grant being in it for like 2 seconds but it was totally mm-hmm. worth it like it was so great and you're just like he opens the door and I'm just like you grant okay and then i'm like man i should have recognized that voice anyway but you know what i mean like it just they do it so well and then like even like having yo-yo ma randomly at kate hudson's like party she's having like, just so many random like cameos of people and uh the uh the williams sister i can't remember which one it was you know, just kind of like on the screen (laughs) in real time while they're having a conversation in the gym. (laughs) Serena, yeah. So I'm like, this is just so funny. Um, And I also like underrated person probably in this movie because she's kind of like not a super big character or main character, Whiskey. I thought Whiskey was great. I loved her character. Duke's wife. I thought she was like really good. Like, I don't know what it was about her, but I just really ended up liking her character, especially at the end when she's like egging on Janelle Monae to be like, yeah, let's just break everything. Just do it. And just how that whole thing played out. Even their dynamic too. When like, they both think they're trying to kill the other. (laughs) It's just like this big misunderstanding. I, I just thought everybody was so good. And like, I do think that it was a great choice to make Benoit Blanc a more forefront person in this film. You do get to see more of his personality, more of him in general in this, in this. And it was great because you almost feel like he's in a sense cutting loose more in this film because you're seeing more of him and you're seeing more of his dynamic as, you know, like almost like it's vacation Benoit almost, even though he's not, he's there for a job, but like it's vacation Benoit. And, and I also love just how thoughtful that they are in the writing with this, that very much like Sterling said, they don't lie to you because he even says when, uh, Edward Norton's character is like, why are you here? <laughs> like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I was sent a box and he was technically, he was like Janelle Monet came to his house with a box. He didn't have to explain it. He didn't lie about it he just asked the questions like, yeah, I was sent a box. You know, do you think maybe somebody reset it? Like what, like he just, he's not lying to him essentially. He's just, you know, being careful about how he's wording things. It feels like with everything he's saying and you know, I just, his, his attitude, you're right. It's so funny where he's just, he's so annoyed and he's like, man, like, even the one thing that you did that had a little bit of, what do you say, panache, you stole it from me with having like, you know, there's a gun and the lights go out. And he's like, you stole it from me, even the one bit that was interesting about what you did tonight. And it was just, he was just so annoyed because he's like, I could have done all of this so much better than you is almost what it felt like he was saying. And yeah, and like the whole lie where he's like, they figure out that Duke's drink had the pineapple juice in it. And that's how he died because he's super allergic to pineapple. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, it's and they're like, oh, it's so simple. It's brilliant. And he's like, no, it's just dumb. Like, <laughs> it's just like, it's like, this is almost a waste of my time. But he, yeah, he was just so funny with how like his attitude was about the whole mystery. And I also just love how. You get to see sort of like, it's a fun, quirky character trait that Benoit Blanc has where he's just so in his mind, knows everything that's going on, so organized in his thoughts and everything like that. But then you see him at home and he's completely disheveled, like hasn't left the bath. His place is a mess. You know what I mean? And it's like, that actually makes total sense for Benoit Blanc because all he cares about is I just want to solve these cases, all these things. He gets super involved in that. And like everything else in his home is totally disheveled. And I thought that that was a really fun, like character quirk to put into that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It was just, I feel like they were just so Ryan Johnson and just everybody on this film. They were so like, they were meticulous and very thought out about how they told the story and how they portrayed all of the characters where it just completely worked. Like, I'm just trying to think of even all the jokes and all of the character types that you're like, you know, like, especially for example, like Kate Hudson's character, completely just oblivious to how terrible she is as a person with some things that she says, but it's so completely well done. Like the way she's written, you're just like, it is, yeah, that is exactly how she would act. Like the way that they wrote her character, that is exactly how she would act and exactly what she would say. And it's no, nothing anybody did was out of character. Um, underrated characters. I think in this are Katherine Han and Leslie Odom Jr. I think they were great. And I, I think their little friendship was kind of cool too. Like you only see glimpses of it and little moments of it, but I just thought their dynamic together was really good. So yeah, I I almost for a second thought maybe Leslie Odom Jr. might've been involved somehow just because he was so like in the background, sort of just watching what was going on. Didn't have much to say most of the time. So I was like, well, what's his story? What's his deal? Right. But I mean, you find out that he's not, but I just, I appreciated that character. Because they give you a character that has a little bit of mystery where you don't know what's going on with them. So you think maybe they are the culprit. Maybe something's up with them. Um, Yeah. Everything they do is just, I can't think of a way that I would have changed this to have made it better, really. I do think you're right. i It doesn't necessarily need to be set during the time of COVID. But it also didn't take away from anything for it to be. So, yeah. I just think... The, and then just like, I think one of the best things they did was the one line that Edward Norton's character says about, I want to be mentioned in the same breath as the Mona Lisa and how that just full circle moment comes back around to where, you know, um, Janelle Monáe's character is just kind of like, well, now you get to do it. Now you will be forever. And it's just such a great, satisfying, full circle moment. Uh, in the movie and it was so clever. So yeah, I don't know. I just think there's just nothing. It really comes down to like preference, like how we were talking about before with knives out versus this movie. It's really just what's your particular brand of how you like a mystery to be played out in front of you. That's really kind of the only, the only difference in a sense. Like I think that, Knives Out, for me, has more of a lasting impact as far as how you feel afterwards. Sort of like what you said earlier, Justin, like, the way you feel leaving that. Like, it just has more of a lasting staying power behind it than this movie does. But this movie is just so much fun. Like, you can't say, there's, I would argue, I wouldn't argue with anybody that's like, no, it's just as good it's really all about your preference of how, what style of mystery thriller you like to see, you know? Um, Yeah. I just think it was, it it was really well written all around. Justin,
1: what about you? Yeah. Every, every point that everybody made is a good point about the film. It's, um, the, the, There are so many things and so many details that they set up early in the movie and they pay all of those things off. And yeah, the misdirect of it is is just like it, they use several different methods to misdirect you, whether it was showing you a scene from the perspective of one character, then going back. And seeing that scene again from a different perspective. And then that, and because now you are seeing it, understanding what the characters are doing and characters' motives, it gives that scene a whole different meaning. And so it was using a lot of different techniques. Like the first time you see Batista's character, Duke, and he's looking in on Whiskey and Miles in the bed. It looks like an affair slash, you know, it looks like an affair. She's cheating on him. And I'm distraught because my woman is in there cheating with Miles situation. Then you get all these plot points and threads and stuff like that. And you find out, oh, that was intentional. That was a setup. You know, that was Duke trying to. You know, get something off Miles to his own ends and everything like that. So, um, and so, so sometimes even that stuff was just well done the 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 way that they did it. You know, also sometimes just the impression that you had of a character, you you get a little bit more of them and find out that that's not really who they are. That was just more of the The facade, or there was more to this character than you thought, kinda like the the again with the whiskey character, she seems just like more of that kinda like airhead, kinda groupy, you know, I'm with the big buffed you know content creator influencer type of girl. and then whenever she has the conversation with Helen. And she's talking to her. We find out, no, actually, she's this smart, kind of calculated, goal oriented woman who really has all of these plans and stuff and was really planning on leaving him anyway because of her goals and things that she wanted to do. And you find out that really she was only with him because he served a certain means to an end in her life as Duke was doing for her. So there was kind of this mutual thing going on with with, with them that you th- there was another that was just another layer of her that you didn't realize was there. So all of those little things are fun and and like and like I would consider whiskey like yes the, there are major and minor characters, but man, she's probably pretty low like on the list of characters of importance. But even still, that character in this story was got some importance and got some attention paid to them and got some layers put on them. And it never felt like, Oh, this is a useless character or man. I wish they had maybe developed that character more or, Oh, I wish that character could have got a little more to do. It was, that's the, I think the product of good writing is even those minor characters it still feels like you got enough to understand them, to like them, to find them compelling, even if they weren't like the the, the biggest, like majorest, majorest part of this story. So I think that that's also a testament to the writing of this. Like would you even say, characters. Oh, sorry. Well,
0: no, I was just gonna say. Would you say like that? It just kind of shows that if you're a good enough writer and director minor characters can still have depth and that's the difference between great writers and directors and character work versus what you get in 90% of other movies where a minor character Mm -hmm. is just there
3: Mm -hmm. because this character had depth.
0: Like it felt genuinely like a character. The only character that was more or less a a, a nothing to it character was, was what Kevin? Kevin. But even then kind of served a weird purpose in the end. Like he weirdly had a a depth of character to him. Like you get that one scene. He's like, Hey, you want to hang out? Like you actually get insight into his character from one little line. That is for more. It's more or less a throwaway line. His line of dialogue (laughs) gives him depth you actually get insight into a character that has a combined total of 45 seconds of screen time
1: mhm yeah yeah and i think it's a testament to the writing and then it's also your ability to cast the right actor to nail that because they don't have much time they don't get as much time as these people do so they have to nail it and just the understanding the the director's understanding that okay, that's all we need from him, you know, and the they're going to get it. We'll have him or the writing to put him in a room and say, this is where this character is going to walk in. You know, Helen's going to walk in and this is where he's going to be sitting. And this is what he's going to be doing. All add layers to this character. You know what I mean? Just where he happens to be at certain times and what he happens to be doing. And then – Just like we were talking, y'all were talking about the scene at the end with him and Blanc. Like, he was perfectly put in certain places, and all of that added depth to that character, even though it was a minor character. So I I just thought that all of that was cool. Um, And another interesting thing about Blanc, y'all said a lot of the things that I was going to say about him, so I won't spend too much time on him. But, but yeah, I love the performance by Daniel Craig. And one interesting thing about this, too, is that you, you, Heather, you were talking about him um, in that tub constantly, and his house is just so like, like messy and everything like that. And he kept saying that he wanted something to challenge him, he wanted something that was. That that could just test him because he hadn't had a yeah. good case in a while, and he was looking for a challenge, and that plays into this too. Because I feel like in his head he wanted to make this a challenge, like he was trying so hard at times to make this a challenge that it's part of that whole thing about not seeing what's there in the in the middle of the onion and having to peel back it was almost like the answer was there. Some of these things were there and it was so dumb, but the way he would talk himself out of certain things, because a part, I feel like a part of him wanted this to be more challenging, you know? Yeah. And so by the time he gets to the end and he's like, Oh, you know, this, you know, the, you You only did the lights out with the gun thing because I mentioned it to you and all of this kind of stuff. And just how, like, he was figuring it out and we're, like, intrigued and going, oh, man, okay, that's what that was. That's what that was. And we're thinking about the movie. But I love the state that his character was in, the disappointment, because he so wanted this. And they planted all those seeds at the beginning. He so wanted this to be like this just mind-blowing case that really tested him, you know? And I like that the experience for us, you know, what was fun and challenging and things like that. But I like how for this character, it felt so beneath him, but they found a way to tell a compelling story and still have our protagonists feel like that, which I think is neat, you know? That's just really yeah. neat. You know, mm-hmm. that that just dawned on me thinking about what you guys were saying. And I was like, you know what? I thought about the beginning and was like, you know what? That plays into this too. He wanted this challenge. He wanted this to be this fun thing. And it, 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 it never was. And at times he made it that way because of how he was feeling and what he was going through. So even that is a layer to this character, how he went about handling this case, he probably could have solved it faster. But because of his want and need for this to be a challenge, I think that played into his sometimes second-guessing of things. So I loved all that. That's just excellent writing and excellent just attention to detail and character work that you just don't get in a lot of movies. You know, that's the kind of stuff that just... That's next level stuff right there. So I thought that it was ne- just worthwhile to say that. Uh Janelle Monet, like I-, I can't speak enough about her performance in this. Whether she was playing Andy or the twin sister Helen, like you like Sterling was saying, just the nuances of those two people and how the 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 different voices and because we're going from flashbacks to present and stuff like that, the challenge of being uh, of looking the same, but having to act a certain way in such a way that you have to be believable that, okay, now I'm Helen trying to play my dead sister, Andy. Like that—that that, that sounds like okay. You're just playing a twin. Okay, whatever. You're twins. It's that—that—that that, that, sometimes that I guess that could sound like an easy thing. where you're playing two people that look the same, but when they—but but when a director and the writing demands for you to play two people that look the same, but they have to be totally different—different different accent, different voices have different reactions throughout the telling of this story in the flashbacks, in the present day, everything like that. She just nailed everything. She was perfect. She just did this so well. And to do it next to some of these heavy-hitting, big impact actors just says so much about her. And, And she was great at the end when she needed to be Okay, determined Helen. I'm gonna do this. I, I, I'm I'm gonna figure out how to get Miles, and I'm gonna do this and destroy everything and just everything they were doing with that—the music, the slow motion, her confidence in those scenes, and and her like determination to get justice in those scenes. All of it was just great. It was palpable. It was believable. And that sort of face-off that she had with Edward Norton's Miles, all of that was great, man. All of that was just great. She just was excellent in this, So I can't say enough about her performance and how enjoyable it was. So just wanted to get into that. And then uh, really quickly about Batista, because we said a lot about him, but just didn't talk a lot specifically about this performance. What was neat about this performance was just all the layers that I think this character had. But that even though it wasn't all given to us in the narrative per se, I just love that Batista was able to portray that. I think what he's good at is he's this big, larger than life like, physically imposing type of person. But that man has a way of acting to where you know there's a vulnerability to this character. You know that this character has some insecurities. You know that this character is not everything that he is on the surface. I mean, back to the glass onion analogy. I guess you could say every character was sort of a glass onion in a way. We What they were on the surface... And then, what, who they actually were as characters. You could probably break everybody down as a glass onion if you really, I bet if I really go back and watch this again, everybody is probably a glass onion in a way. But, in, but, but Batista, like his acting as Duke, you could see all of that. Everything from him being on the, you know, being this content creator and this, you know, pro man, like super toxic masculine you know, man content creator, but really he's living with his mom, and you know, he's you know, his mom is talking to him and everything. And then like he's such a mama's boy. But but not just that ironic thing. But the funny thing is that his mom was like also really smart. She's figuring out the puzzles and I can see everything like, you know, and then here he is in this room talking about, yeah. You know, men need to be this and that. And then, like, <laughs> she's figuring out everything for him. Just figuring out the whole puzzle and stuff like that. So I thought that was a great scene, too. But you can yeah. see that in his acting, like, but, but just even in that exterior that he was trying to show was somebody who was desperate, you know, trying to get on that, trying to get on, I forget what they called it. But whatever he was trying to get on the show, he was trying to get on or the clout that he was trying to have miles help him with. It was some sort of News. news channel alpha news. Yeah. I was like some sort of news channel. Yeah. Alpha news. So he was trying to get on that and you could, you could see what that was about and everything like that. So, I mean, I just thought that all of that was good. Like I could sense the layers in that character without the narrative necessarily having to tell me that so I I thought all of that was tight like all of that was good and and like you know and then like Jessica Henwick it was nice to see her you know I wouldn't say that this is one of her stronger roles I, I she definitely was like minor on the minor scale but man even still man even with the few lines she had I liked the little moment she had with Edwin Norton, with Miles, where she was talking about like, um, you, you know, where she was talking about everything, like, please don't release that information about her. And like, she kind of had that like pleading moment with Miles about re- releasing that news and what would happen to her and how far she had progressed and how, if that, if, If, um, I think it was, man, I'm trying to remember her name. Birdie. Yes. Birdie. If she, the key, I was trying to remember like the character name, but Kate Hudson, like if she goes down, then this is what happens to her. She had a really good scene there and she didn't get many, but I thought that that was a good scene with Edward Norton. But again, she's somebody who, you know, she's known for doing stunt work and like, martial arts movies and action and stuff like that watch out for her man like she was a yeah. minor role in this but that's another one that i think she's going she's going to get that role where she rises to the occasion man and yeah. she's gonna i be mean her great. chemistry
2: so, with kate hudson was really good too like as her assistant yeah,
1: it was really good it, definitely so she's another one man she's I I'm 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 just always expecting big things from her. And her being in something like this, even as a minor character, I think is a big thing. You know, it it's showing that I can be in the room with these people. So watch out for her, man. I, I think Jessica Henwick is really good, and I, I'm just a big fan of her. So yeah, I mean, I, as far as everything with the plot and everything, you guys pretty much said it all. So I don't have to dive too much into that. But yeah, I loved it in, in, in the, I guess I'll just go to kind of to the end and just say that I love how it all kind of came back to that analogy. And even though it wound up being Miles and, and maybe you could say that you, you could kind of see that coming as far as who this was about and who it was going to wind up being. He was the orchestrator the whole time. He was, you know, you, you, they gave you enough for you to be able to figure out that perhaps that was him or he was the most likely candidate and everything like that. But what I loved is that, like we talked about, it was by design. It was the the point of it was to get, to make it seem like this big, complex thing and give you all these suspects and give you all these motives that each character had and everything like that. But for it to turn around and be him, um, maybe if you were expecting this big spell-bounding answer, I, maybe I could see how okay they—they they didn't really give me like the surprise factor like we did in the first *Knives Out*. But I just appreciated so much the execution of this. I like what Blanc when he figured this out, I like how that character reacted to figuring it out. I like how figuring it out wasn't actually the solution. That was only part of it. Like they figured out who it was, but there was no way to convict him. There was no evidence. There was no, so it wasn't like you got to the end, figured out it was him. And then Blanc throws cuffs on him. And that's the end of the movie. You know, I think if they, if it wasn't so well written, I think in a lesser movie that just would have been the end, you know, Oh, we figured it out. He admits it in his, in some villainy sort of way or tries to escape or something like that. Or maybe we use the, 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 the gas compound or what uh, the crystallized gas or whatever it was to maybe we use it against him somehow. And that's how we apprehend him and, That's the end of the movie. He's in jail. The two good guys, Janelle and Daniel Craig, high five or something. And that's the end of the movie. You know, I just think in a lesser movie, you wouldn't have had as nuanced of a solution and a way to, quote unquote, get him, get the villain, so to speak. I just don't think it would have been as cool or as fun or as interesting as as how this movie did it with the burning of the Mona Lisa and stuff like that. So even though figuring out the culprit wasn't like the grandiose moment of this, what they gave you afterwards, when you look at the totality of everything, finding out who the culprit was and then the solution to getting the culprit in some sort of way, I think all of it works. And I just was, and I wound up very satisfied with what I got. So It wasn't the same satisfaction of the first Knives Out, but it's on that same level, just in a different way. And different is not so bad. Not everything has to be as good as or equal to or just I I don't always have to get the same feelings that I got in the first one. I mean, sometimes different is good. And I think this was a good different, you know, it was a good alternative to what we got in that first film. Well, to me, most importantly, it shows
0: consistency. Like, it might not be the exact same quality or the exact same type of mystery or as complex of a mystery, but it just shows you know how to write a fucking damn good mystery either way. Yeah. Like, consistency is what matters at that point. Um, Because with all that, too, like, has everybody here seen Murder on the Orient Express or know the story?
1: Yeah. Know the story. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I liked how this was kind of the opposite of it because like Perot at the end of murder at the Orient Express is like, he knows everybody did it and he's mad. Cause he like, I can't actually get justice because I know you all did it. I can't prove you all did it. I can prove each one of you did it, but that's not really justice. And all you have to do is point at this other little bit of evidence that proves somebody else did it. But nothing ultimately proves. So he's mad because he can't actually get justice at the end of it. You know, because there's no way to do it. And I love how this is kind of a twist on that. That Benoit's just like, look, we can't get justice the normal way. Like, and that he also can't quote unquote directly, openly condone alternative justice, if you will. You know, so he just goes, hey, here's the stuff. I'm going to be outside. You know, and then on top of that, he's intentionally also not there when they're all sitting there on the stairs and they're all like, yeah, we'll lie. Just to put you away.
3: Yeah, that was a good
0: touch. Because why? He knows it's a lie. He knew that if like, so he's just not there because he can't say it's a lie if he's not there. You know what I mean? He can't say, like, oh, these people are going to lie. It's not there because he knows how to play the system, even though he devotes himself to the system. Because ultimately, he does care about justice. He just makes sure that when he gets justice, it's the right way. Now, if somebody uses his information to get justice another way, that's not necessarily on him. He's just the facts. You know, so I like it's that slight twist on, you know, that murder on the Orient Express thing, because that's also why that's my favorite Perot story. And it's why it's also the most iconic one too, because it's this super complex, elaborate thing. They all did it. And he, and he knows it, but he's just like, I can't prove that. And if you all don't go down, there's no justice. If one of you goes down, it's, but no one else does. It's still a miscarriage of justice because you all did it. You know, and I love that, and I love that Benoit has the same thing, but he's slightly more pliable with it. And so I just kind of dig that. And also I looked it up. So the end of the movie, whenever the, he's like, uh, whenever things exploding, Benoit says "disruption," and then Daryl says "fucking a," and then they okay. both take a hit of yeah. their respective smoking things.
3: Yeah, so works I was like, out.
0: Okay, that's what it was. <laughs> but. Yeah, th- there's just so many little things in this movie that still just kind of make it like this weirdly special thing.
2: Well, I also enjoy too the fact that, I mean, in this world, Benoit Blanc is a very renowned detective. You know what I mean? Like the, even like Catherine Hahn's character was like, oh, you're the guy that solved the thing with the thing. And and it wasn't just the Knives Out case. It was like some completely different random case. It had nothing. So it's like, He's just very well known for solving all of these crazy cases. And I I just like that little small touch too of like, I'm not gonna just gonna reference the one other case that you've seen him do. You know what I mean? Like he is a well known, really good detective all around. So
0: Yeah. And I like that because it ties into knives out. Because they knew he was a great detective in that too. Yep. You know. So like yeah, I like that there's a history built around him, and there's a mythos, and we're only getting parts of it because that that adds to him being the same type of detective as a Perot or uh or Sherlock Holmes or uh oh, what's her name? Why can I not think of uh fucking murder She wrote,
1: yeah. Angela Lansbury. Yeah, but what's the, her character? It's The actress, but I forget the name of the character.
0: Oh my god, I've seen every episode. Why do I want to say show. it's
2: Jessica something? I don't think that's it right.
0: is. Or you're is right. It? It's it's Jessica. It's J B Fletcher.
2: Hmm.
0: But yes, it's Jessica Fletcher. Um. Yeah, but it's the thing where they've weirdly got this renown to them, and they're already famous by the time you start hearing their stories. You know, and that's what I love about it is, like, you just get into it when they've already been going. Like, I don't want to see, like, you know, young adult fucking Benoit Blanc, like, in college solving mysteries. I want him being a professional badass solving mysteries. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't need the backstory. Let's just keep churning out new shit. Anyway, you guys got any more thoughts about this one?
2: No, I did. Like, I am glad that Jess brought up uh, Duke's mom. I meant to bring that up, too. I loved that, that she was just, like, so casually solving this puzzle in the background. Like, it was so funny. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I'm good.
0: On that note, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com or Facebook, where Cinema Slayers podcast or Twitter and Instagram, where Cinema underscore Slayers or Cinema Slayers Pod on uh, TikTok or at Cinema Slayers Pod on YouTube. Uh, Give us a five star rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. It really helps us out. Uh, shout out to Plug Me Go Mundo Ochoa for our theme song and logos, respectively. Uh, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your friends' family, tell your family's friends. And most of all, tell those dear sweet mothers, because dear sweet mothers love.
2: I got to go Bautista this time. No, he's toxic masculinity. It's Benoit Blanc. <laughs> all right. That was my next <laughs> choice. Benoit Blanc.
0: Uh, just remember here at Cinema Slayers, we are pro-slut and pro-Sydney. Actually, isn't it, we are pro-Sydney and pro I don't remember what order it is. Either way, we are both those things. And as I always in these uh, podcasts, these YouTube videos, and the TikToks, just remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is a best picture winner.
3: Somebody
0: we finished at the perfect time. I just ran out of tea. Going
3: to nope. Knows
1: anything but you. Oh. So. And now you're making me want tea. Tea sounds good.
0: As I teased earlier in the episode, they just came out with a new poster for Scream 6. And it looks like a subway map, but it's the ghost face. face. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it, each one of the train lines on it represents one of the movies. Oh, really? Yes. Oh. And the, actually, the stops, quote unquote, on it are actually people that die in the movies. Mm. Right? And then... But the, like they do this whole thing and then it all goes back to where like in New York it'd be like Union Station or, or Grand Central Station there. Um, there it all culminates at Sam Carpenter, which is the name of Billy Loomis's daughter, you mm. know, from, from Scream 5. And I have a huge issue with that because it's like all these movies culminate into Sam Carpenter. And it feels so wrong because it doesn't culminate into Sidney Prescott. Like, Mm -hmm. come on. The one remaining, (laughs) like, culminating factor of fucking five screen movies is motherfucking Sidney Prescott. And you decide that you are too good to have the one character that makes your fucking movies worthwhile in your fucking sixth movie. And you have the audacity to make a fucking poster that says all things culminate in this fucking character that's been in one movie and not
1: five. Right. Fuck off. <laughs> wow. I still need to see that fifth one, man. Oh man. I don't know if you do.
0: <laughs> Cuz it She's not in 6, man. Like I'm I'm having real big problems with this.
3: Yeah. And they think
0: if they just move it to New York City? Like I know I'm kind of sounding like those guys from those fucking Picante commercials back in the day where they're like this sauce is made in New York City and they're all New York City. <laughs> New York City. <laughs> they think if they move it to motherfucking New York City, I'm going to just fucking forgive them for not having fucking Sidney Prescott in it. Yeah, you it's damn mind. Yeah. I don't care where you put this movie. You don't have Sidney fucking
2: Prescott. You dicks. Yeah. Just saying. It's unforgivable. It is. Especially why. <laughs> but yeah, the whole thing. Yeah.
0: I'm just so distraught over that poster. Because I was looking over it and I'm reading all the names. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. But then, like I said, the fact that they all culminate at Sam Carpenter, I'm like, you motherfuckers. Because if they culminate at anybody, it's fucking Sidney Prescott. Damn it. I don't <laughs> give a fuck. I don't care if she's not in the movie. You still show her The damn respect she deserves and you put her name on it. Just saying. Very just, ugh. So bothered by this. All right. That's all I had to say. I just had to vent about that because we are pro-Sydney. Damn it. Yes. Yes. All right, I'm out.